Well, good morning, everyone. It is so good to be with you guys today. Welcome, if you're, of course, if you're in the room, if you're watching online, if you're at one of our live sites, or if you're at Montrose. Hello, my friends. It is good to be with you on this side of things. So if you don't know me yet, uh, my name is Joe. I'm the pastor of uh, what we call Give It Away here. Our whole thing at Grace Church is know it, live it, and give it away. So I get to engage all of our Give It Away facets, all of our engagement in our community, in our city, around the world with our missions programs in the different countries and things like that. And I'm also the host pastor at Montrose on Sunday morning. So hence my hello, odd greeting. But um, that is uh, where you would usually find me at on a Sunday morning. Morning is over there. We have two services every Sunday morning at Montrose as well. And so if you haven't checked those out, we'd love to see you as too. It's just like here, except different. So it's cool. All right. So, um, but uh, we're going to have a lot of fun this morning, I think, as we kind of dive into the uh, next um, week of this Habits and Heartbeat series. Uh, the last couple of months have really been fun ones here at Grace Church. We spent a few weeks on this idea of who are we um, about a month or so ago. And just really kind of diving into what do we value as a church? What do we value as followers of Jesus? What are these things that are really important to us? And why does that matter? How do we engage that? And then we spent the last month kind of walking through this all in, all out, which of course, if you were here, you know exactly what that's all about. And we've been excited to kind of engage in that. And we looked at what would it look like if we linked arms together as a church and really went after some of the needs in our community and really made sure that we were kind of expressing the heart and the mind and the love of God. Uh, in a tangible way with our communities. That's been really fun. And then we've been in this series now, now the second week, where we're talking about what are, what are some of the habits, what are some of the heartbeats that we need to have as followers of Jesus, if we want to play our part uh, in what he's called us to do, if we want to be a part of the impact that he's making around the world, how can we uh, engage that uniquely and individually, and what would that all look like? Now, We've been engaging this phrase really for a couple of years, but we've been really kind of latching on to it for these last few weeks, called we want to pray for our three. Some of you might even be wearing a wristband like this right now, where on the inside it says pray for your three, uh, and in that uh, we've been really just annoying each other by wearing these wristbands, but it's a great reminder to be praying for three people that are near and dear to our heart that don't yet know Jesus, but that we would love for them to understand the hope and the message of Christ. And then this weekend, we're going to kind of dive into what are some of those habits and heartbeats that we can use to specifically be intentional with some of those three, to really go after those people that we love and care about and want to know Jesus. Now, I want to pause for a second because some of you in the room, you're new to grace or maybe you're even new to the faith or you're exploring what it means to follow Jesus in the first place. And you're like, I woke up this morning and I can't, I don't know if it's March or Christmas time. I'm so confused already. I show up at church and this, there's, there's an ambulance in the parking lot. Like what's going on? And then, and then the guy, he gets up on stage and he wants to talk about proselytization. Are you serious? Like that's what I got up this morning to be a part of. And I answer that. Yep. Uh, so here we are. And we are going to talk about that, but I want you to know why, because as a follower of Jesus, the heartbeat behind that is actually very encouraging, and it shouldn't be something that we're ashamed of. It should be something we're excited about, because here's kind of how this all shakes out. So each and every one of us, like, we're messed up, and we know that, right? None of us are perfect. We know that on a regular basis, day in, day out. Sometimes it only takes one more minute to prove that we're not perfect. And we go through life, and we hurt people, and we do things that 
disappoint people. And we do things that actually are destructive to our own lives. And we do things that are what the Bible calls that are sin. And it's not only sin because God made a rule about it. It's a sin because God knew the destructive nature at which that path would take you down. And so we are all sinful. We all have those imperfections in our life, deep rooted in us, hardwired. We are imperfect as a human being. But every religion on this planet then wants to teach how we can then take steps forward and earn favor back with God. That we can actually say, like, if I do my best, if I try hard, if I do enough good, then I can earn favor with God. And this is where following Jesus is totally opposite. You see, because following Jesus is actually where God said, look at the people that I love, that I've created, that I cherish. They're completely imperfect, so I'm going to take care of it. He came to earth in the form of a man, fully God and fully man, in the person of Jesus, to express what would life look like if it did actually happen in a perfect way. He led this perfect life, showed us what it would look like to follow God with his whole heart, mind, and strength. And then he died a death on a cross that he willingly gave to pay for our sin. To actually say, you aren't the one that has to earn your way back to God, but instead I will pay that price. I will pay, pave that path for you. Come back to your creator. I will forgive you. Be in my family. It's a huge deal. We all find ourselves in this deficit and Jesus fills that deficit. And so we want people to know that amazing news. And then on top of that, Jesus actually will change our lives in this very moment where he will actually fill us with life and joy and purpose that we could have never imagined before. Even if we feel like we have some of those things in our life, it, it pales in comparison to the version that Jesus brings to the table. And he begins to work in us today, transforming our relationships, helping us know what the truth of life is and beginning to show the power that's available if we're interacting with God. It's unbelievable. And that is what a follower of Christ is hoping that a person that doesn't follow Jesus will come to know. That God can fill that gap and that God will lead to real life. And so when we sit here in a church and we're talking about here's what it might be to be intentional to show people what it's like to live a life for Jesus, that's the excitement that we're talking about. We're not talking about forcing it down people's throats. We're not talking about the here's the three phrases that can trick the person you're talking to into saying they want to follow Jesus. It's nothing like that. But we want to invite folks that don't know Christ into this amazing relationship that will transform us today and forever. It's exciting. But as we sit there and we think about praying for our three, and as we sit here thinking about how can I start an intentional conversation with somebody that doesn't know Jesus, a lot of us get sweaty palms and we start getting nervous and intimidated right away because we're nervous that that initial reaction is going to look like a Facebook comment war. And we don't want to get in the middle of all of that rejection and all of that misunderstanding. And we don't feel like we know enough or what to do. And so we step back from it. And we desperately want those people that we love to know about Jesus, but we don't know where to start. And that's where I want to dive into today with our habits and heartbeats. I want to look at a passage and show and learn together how Jesus helps us in this. Uh, he knew it would be intimidating, but let's take a look at this. So go ahead and open up your Bible to Luke chapter 10. So uh, if you got your own Bible, grab that. If you want to follow along on the app, you can follow along there. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you and you'd like to read one of those, there's one under you or in front of you in the chairs, and we'll be on page 842 in those we're going to be in what's known as the Gospel of Luke. 
And so a gospel, in terms of uh, a book of the Bible, is an account of Jesus's life. And so as we look at this account from Luke, who wrote in great detail the type of life that Jesus lived, he shows us the kind of person he was, what motivated him, how he interacted with other people. And it's a really uh, great opportunity to kind of see the heartbeat and the mindset of God as we look into that. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 10, and he kind of picks up here with this idea of how to begin engaging those of uh, those people that don't yet know how awesome Jesus is. And so let's go ahead and hit verse one. And it says this, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. So this word right here, others, fascinates me because if you were thinking about like the strategy behind how would God want to kind of make a ripple effect of his message and his hope and his love around the world, I would assume, maybe you're smarter than me, but I would have assumed that that word would be like 72 like master theologian, professional Jedi Christian people. Like, you know, it's just the people that know how to do everything. They have all the answers. They know how everything works. Surely God's gonna send those people into these towns and these places. But instead, he uses this really fancy word, others, right? It's just those people, right? And what I love about that is it means it's normal people who are following Jesus. And she's like, yeah, I sent 72 of these other people out into the towns and the villages. That there are folks that maybe they've only been following Jesus for a couple of weeks. Maybe they've been following him for a couple of years. But however it is, we get this uh, impression that it's just normal people that have decided to follow Jesus. And now he wants to start working with them on what would it look like to actually share the hope that's within them from Jesus. And so this is a big deal because I think that as we start to piece together the small steps of saying, I will do what God has asked me to do, that's when he's actually able to do something incredible because of those small steps of obedience. So let's keep looking at this. Verse two, Jesus told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Now, there's a few things that we want to kind of pull out of this. That word harvest, I think, actually means quite a bit. And so, first of all, harvest um, is the metaphor that Jesus is using to explain that there are people out there in the world that don't yet know Jesus, that don't yet follow him, but are open to engaging him. It's the harvest. It's the people that are willing to say, you know what, I would actually love to explore or know or meet my creator and understand how to have life with God, but I don't know how. I don't know the name of Jesus. I don't know how that works. There's a harvest out there. Harvest also implies that it's hard work. I don't know if you've ever had the blessing of working in an actual harvest, like getting with, you know, in the trees, getting the apples off the orchard, uh, you know, or working the crops. Like it is hard, sun up to sundown, sweat all day, labor. It is hard work. And this is important because Jesus isn't saying, hey, join me in this, you know, lazy boy, you know, remote control flipping. Like, yeah, that's, that's, the, that's the work I want you to be involved in. It's easy, no problem. He's like, no. It's going to be hard work, but it's plentiful. There's a lot of people that are ready to engage Jesus if we're so willing to do that. But then he says the workers are few. And the workers are those others, those people that follow Jesus, that are willing to step in and say, I'm I'm willing to help these people that don't yet know Jesus understand who he is. I'm willing to be a part of the harvest. And as of this point, Jesus is saying those workers are few. But that verse continues... Jesus says, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Now, this is a little bit fascinating to me because 
If I was to wake up one morning knowing I was going to be working in the harvest, the type of prayer that I would pray would probably look something more like, God, can you please make the day a little bit easier? Right? Like, can you make the sun not shine so hot, not quite so bright? Can you make the fruit just like jump into the bushel? That'd be amazing. Like, can we just like kind of get past this hard days where, and I don't mind working hard, but when you know you got a hard day ahead of you, like that's a pretty typical prayer. Maybe it's just me, but God, please make it easier. But his encouragement is not to say, please make the harvest easier. It says, bring more people to the work. So his mindset instead is many hands make light work. That if we're all getting involved in this endeavor, that suddenly the harvest becomes um, manageable. It becomes uh, tangible right in front of us that we can actually see the work happen if more and more workers would join in in that harvest. And so we're asking God to send more others, to send more workers into the field. And he continues from here. Go, I'm sending you out like lambs among the wolves. Do not take a purse. Check. I don't take a purse anywhere when I go. So I got that one down. So here we go. We're not, don't take a purse with you or a bag or sandals and don't greet anyone on the road. This is a funny phrase to me. Don't greet anyone on the road. This is Jesus speaking. And we tend to know Jesus as a, as a kind person, someone that would actually spend time with um, some, some of our cultures might say if they're the untouchables. No, like Jesus would go and be with them and spend the day with them and talk with them. And then all of a sudden here in this page, like, hey, don't greet anybody on the road. And I can imagine, like, as you're walking down the road without your purse and without your sandals, and all of a sudden you see, hey, oh, sorry, I wasn't supposed to do that. Like, you know, just keep on going. But what I think Jesus is getting at here is the urgency of the harvest. The urgency of the harvest. If you were taking a loved one of yours with a real emergency to the ER, you would not stop at Circle K on the way and grab a Polar Pop. You wouldn't be like, hey, I know you're kind of like, but... um. I need a Mountain Dew, so hang tight. I'll be right back. Like, no, you would, you would just go, right? You would get there. And as you're walking into the emergency room, if you saw an old friend or old coworker that you knew from 10 years ago, you knew him in third grade or back at your first job, you're like, hey, how's it? So how have things been? It's good to see you. You know, your friend's over here like dying, right? Maybe literally. And you're like, well, it's fine. I need to greet this person on the road. It's urgent, and we know that when it's urgent, we don't have the time, so to speak, to just exchange pleasantries. We, we have a mission. We have something to do that is calling us now to this work. And Jesus is trying to express, we don't want to just stop and just start slowing down and making sure our life doesn't count. It's actually get out there. And this is a big deal in this culture, too, because in these ancient cultures, those greetings were intense. They weren't on Facebook the day before realizing that, oh, you were on vacation. How nice that you were in Florida while we were in rainy, springy, snowy spring in Ohio. Fantastic. How are you? I hate you. You know, those kind of things. Like, so we don't have time to do that. They would actually stop and slow down and truly greet one another and catch up on life. And Jesus is saying, listen, I'm actually asking you to go beyond that cultural norm and treat this with urgency. The next verse, when you enter a house, first say peace to this house. And if a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on them. And if not, it will return to you. The good news is you don't actually have to use that phrase. You don't actually have to walk up to your friend and say peace to this house. Okay, like you don't have to start there. But what Jesus is getting at here is you're actually bringing a peaceful, good news message. He's reminding us first that this is not something that we're forcing down people's throats. This is not something where we're trying to look at someone and say, you're wrong and I'm right, so let me show you your error of your ways. 
This is us saying, I have found something that has absolutely transformed and changed my life that we all need as humanity, and it has added layers of life that I never thought possible, and I would love for you to experience that. And if someone is willing to have that conversation, if they're willing to kind of give that peace back, so to speak, then this is a place that we want to hover. This is what we've been calling at Grace Church the no-brainer moment. Someone that's willing to actually keep the conversation going. We all know people that they speak some kind of like extra language, right? Where then they don't want to talk about something. Matter of fact, I'm, I'm willing to guess that most of us in this room are bilingual, whether we realize it or not. Some of you are actually bilingual. Some of you might even be more than that. But if you've taken a plane ride before, if you've been on an airplane, you speak this language. It's this. You sit down in your seat next to the person that's flying with you, and you look over, and you're about to say something, and they go, right? They put those headphones, those earbuds, right in their ears, and it's the universal language for, I don't want to talk, right? You know, and as a follower of Christ, you know that your responsibility is to pull one of those earbuds out and say, listen, do you know Jesus as your personal savior? Because if this plane doesn't land, just saying, like, no, it's absolutely not that, right? Like, we know how that language works. If the person doesn't want to have a conversation, they don't want to have a conversation. We're looking for an exchange of peace, that they're willing to have some conversation about some facet of what you have found in God. The life, the faith, the joy, the love that you have found in Christ, the truth of who he is and his invitation for the people, you're looking to share some of that with them. And if they're willing to have any part of that conversation, they're what the scripture is calling a person of peace. Someone that's actually willing to have a bit of that conversation with you. Now, he continues to stay in that house, eating and drinking whatever they give you for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. Now, it's important to see that we need to actually stay in this house. We need to stay in that environment where the person is actually willing to have a conversation with us about God, about who Jesus is. Some of us, maybe for the very first time, we'll have a conversation with somebody and say, you know what, Like, I realize where you're at in your life right now, and I'm starting to see in my life that maybe something's wrong, and you respond, you're like, you know, I went through a similar season like that, and I don't know how I would have gotten through it without Jesus. And they're like, really? What's that like? And you're like, I mentioned Jesus, and they didn't flip out. What do I do now? Right? And you're like so excited, you just like pull out your phone right away and you're like tweeting or Instagramming or Facebooking that like I just shared Jesus with somebody, literally I said their name and that's it, but they're not hitting me right now or judging me and I don't know what to do next and high five and woohoo and you talk to your friends and you never continued the conversation. They're like actually interested, but you're so excited that they're a person of peace, you don't realize you have to stay in the house. You keep the conversation going. Very few of us in the room that have followed Jesus decided to follow Jesus the first time we understood who he was. It took me 18 years of growing up in the church going multiple times a week before I decided to follow Jesus. It takes many of us multiple conversations, multiple interactions, many even experiences of how God works with people to finally realize I need to follow Christ. And we have an opportunity to stay in that house even if it's the random uh, airport airplane neighbor, 
It's like, hey, I, I want to follow up with, I'm, I'm going to be praying for your mom. I know that's a rough time. I'm be, do, would you mind if I looked you up on Facebook or got your email or got your number? I'd love to just follow up and see how things are going and continue praying if that's what's necessary. Would you mind if I do that? And you keep the conversation going, right? If it's your family member or your neighbor or your classmate or your coworker, when's the next time you're getting together with them? How do you stay in that house? Because the reason that we're not just moving around from house to house, because if somebody, remember Jesus used that word harvest. If someone is ripe, they're ready to have the peaceful conversation. They're actually ripe for lots of things. So if someone comes along and says, actually what you want to do is follow these Zen principles or these other religious principles or these self-help principles or what's actually that, I know you think that void in your life is the fact that it's God, but really what it is is you're not eating keto, nothing against keto, but it's not going to transform your life in the same way that Jesus is, right? Like people are going to be very ripe and ready to have a conversation about anything that can fill that void. And so we want to stay in that house and help them understand who Jesus is, the truth and the relational love and power that's in God. Anyone could pick them in the harvest. And we want to make sure we stay in that house and help them go down the path of understanding who Jesus is. Now it continues on here. When you enter a town and you are welcomed, eat what is set before you, heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. We have the opportunity to begin to share all that God starts to bring to the table, the ways in which he wants to care for the poor, help the overlooked, set the oppressed free, to free us from our sin, to save us for eternity. We begin to show people that this is the good news of the kingdom of God. But then Jesus continues, but when you, are, when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into the streets and say, even the dust from your own town that sticks to your feet, we wipe off against you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it would be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. This is beginning, beginning to have some strong language to it. And it's because as we start to look for this avenue of the person of peace, to have an actual conversation with someone about their, your faith in Christ and what that could look like for them, some folks are going to say, no, I don't wanna have that conversation. And Jesus is saying a couple things here. One, shake the dust off your feet. It's time to move to the next house. And we're going to get into it here in another moment. But he's also saying this is a huge deal. Because someone that actually says no to the peace and the life that God has to offer is actually headed toward the epitome of the destruction of their sin. That it would be better for them in a city that was completely destroyed than it would be if they continued down the path of rejecting Jesus. Now, some of you might have just heard that we don't have to care anymore. You know, shake the dust off your feet for those that aren't people of peace. And you're thinking about a loved one, a family member, a close, close, close friend, a coworker, a classmate that you deeply care for. And you're wondering right now if Joe and Jesus just said, don't worry about them anymore, cast them to the side. And I don't think at all that that's what Jesus means. I think what he means here is take this seriously. This is not just someone decided not to do the same religion as you. It's they're ignoring the opportunity to connect with their creator, their one and only hope of real life and transformation here and certainly for eternity in the future. Some of us, as we've been praying for our three, I would hope and pray 
that you would also begin to have some type of prayer list that you keep, whether it's a piece of paper, an app, a document, a book, a journal, whatever, where you're kind of like listing out the things that you're praying for on a regular basis that you would hope to see God do or that he wants you to be a part of. This might be other people that you want to come to know Jesus. Hopefully your list technically could be more than three people long. This might be things, ways you want to see God intervene in someone's schooling situation or work situation, a health issue, you name it, ways that you want to see God work. Your list is potentially multiple things long, right? And what I think God is saying here is if someone isn't going to be a person of peace, if someone is at the point where you actually need to shake the dust off of your feet and move on, that that name would actually move from your intentional, I'm no longer forcing this down your throat, so to speak, type of language, to I'm going to be praying for because your very soul hangs in the balance. And they move to this category, but it's understanding that if they're not willing to have a peaceful conversation, then it's time to move on. And we'll talk about that here as to why in a second. But we always want to be praying for those people in our life, even if they're not engaging it. Because as Jesus says in a few verses later, he who listens to you listens to me. And he who rejects you rejects me. But he who rejects me rejects him who sent me. Now that's a lot of pronouns and a lot of rejects, I know. But what Jesus is trying to say here is when someone actually does not want to be a person of peace with you, they want to reject your faith, they want to reject the path that you found to Jesus, they're not interested in all of that stuff, that even if they say harsh things to your face with your name included, they're actually not rejecting you, they're rejecting Jesus, they're rejecting God. And yes, your relationship might have an element to it that is rocky for the foreseeable week or month or future. But really what they're doing is they're saying no to God. This is a huge deal. That when we get to the end of our life, whether we've said yes or no to Jesus is the crux of the whole thing. And so if they don't want to be that person of peace, if they don't want to engage, our prayer for them becomes very different, but then so does our intentionality because the harvest is plentiful. Now, this is a huge deal, I think, because your life's effectiveness, our life's effectiveness are not measured on whether or not we can get a bunch of people persuaded to become person of peace and then persuaded to become followers of Jesus. Our life's effectiveness when it comes to this understanding of evangelism or sharing our story, sharing our faith, is actually measured on whether or not we're willing to follow the farmer into the harvest. Here's, here, let me, follow me here for a second. I love harvest time. I love the fall. I love it, right? Like, one of the reasons I love it is because of all the apples. I love all things apple. I especially love the apple that my wife covers in homemade caramel, chocolate, and candy, and you, it doesn't even taste like an apple anymore. I love those apples. They're my favorite apples, right? Um, it, it's absolutely amazing, but I, I do really love harvest time. And whenever I think harvest, I think grabbing apples off apple trees in the fall time. Now, if you were a day laborer, and for whatever reason, on a Saturday morning, you said, hey, I'm going to go down to this orchard, and I'm going to ask if they need any help, because it's, it's harvest time. There's tons of apple trees that have apples on them. And you show up, and sure enough, the farmer looks at you and says, actually, yes, we have so many apples right now. The harvest is plentiful. I would love for you to be one of the workers that's a part of my harvest. Go into the harvest field, because my workers are few. Will you go into the harvest and actually pull the apples off the tree? 
Now, you're not the first worker that showed up that day. It's not even the first day of the harvest. And so you walk into the orchard, and the first tree you see is beautiful. I mean, the trunk and the branches and the symmetry of the foliage, it's amazing. One problem, there's no apples on it. And so you have this option, right? You can, you can sit there and go, but this is a beautiful tree. And it's an apple tree, so one day it'll probably bear fruit. I'm going to sit down right here and wait for there to be apples on this tree. Well, you better believe that the farmer's going to come outside seeing you sitting by that tree and says, hey, the, the, the harvest is plentiful. Oh, I know, but this is a beautiful apple tree, and one day there's going to be really cool apples on it. So I'm going to say right here, okay, yeah, maybe next year there'll be apples on it. So in the meantime, the, the harvest is plentiful. Why don't, why don't we go work in the orchard? No, I'm cool, because I love this tree. This tree's my favorite tree, and I'm going to sit right here. Okay, but the harvest is plentiful. There are a lot of apples out here in the orchard, and I would love it if you would be willing to go out into the orchard and help me pick apples. And next year, or in one of the following seasons, this tree will have apples on it too. But in the meantime, there's a lot of apples out here. And see, we have an, a choice in this metaphor, right? Where we can be stubborn and say, nope, this is my tree. This is the one. This is the one I'm going to get the apples from. This is where I will get my fruit. This is where I'm going to work in the harvest. Or we can trust the farmer that the harvest is plentiful and follow him into the orchard. Because there's an opportunity to help people understand Jesus, people that don't yet know him but are willing to engage him. They're out there. They're ready to be picked. They're ripe for the picking. The conversations are there. The people of peace exist. And if we trust the farmer that they're out there, then I would attest, I think the scripture certainly attests, that we need to be one of the workers that says, I am willing to work in the harvest field. When I was uh, about nine months into my faith, I, I, came to, I decided to follow Jesus about uh, a week after I graduated high school. And about nine or so months into that, I was supposed to have an appointment with one of my coworkers. I used to work for one of those uh, painting companies that uh, it's like a college thing where they put like lawn signs in everybody's yards and it says like university painting pros or college painting wizards or whatever, you know, call here. And if you work for one of those companies or you think it's a good idea, we should talk afterward because, okay. But anyway, just saying, I worked for one of those companies and I was supposed to meet up and have a sales lunch with one of my coworkers. And then night before... I'm like tossing and turning in bed. It's one of the few times in my life I feel like it's actually wrestling with God. Like, I felt like he was telling me tomorrow at lunch, I want you to share a little bit about why you've given your life to me, why you decided to follow Jesus. And I'm like, yeah, no, I can't do that. He's like, yeah, I, I want you to share with this guy about your faith. Why'd you decide to follow me? And I'm like, yeah, we don't talk much and we're supposed to talk about like sales numbers and painting and stuff and God, I just don't want to be the guy that's like, so do you want pepperoni and a side of the Lord Jesus as your savior? Like, I, I don't know how to make that happen. I don't want to be the guy that forces the conversation. I'm not going to be the guy that's like, you know you're going to hell. I, how, God, how do I do that? And I'm just wrestling all night long and finally at about 4 a.m., I got my wits about me or he finally, I'm like, okay, Lord, I'll do it, but can you please give me a segue? Can you please give me some sort of lead-in so I don't have to be that guy? And I fell asleep almost instantly. And the next morning, I wake up, go about my day, I show up at lunch, shout out to Tommaso's and Norton, it's great. Order myself a large pepperoni and sausage pizza, one sitting, of course, gone. Um, 
But we're sitting, we start to have a conversation, exchange pleasantries, we order. He says, uh, hey, I know we were supposed to talk about sales numbers and stuff today, but he goes, to be honest, my life has fallen apart and I just need to talk to somebody. Would you mind if we did that instead? I'm like, So we spent about the next hour and a half. You see, his, his life, his parents were getting divorced and they were blaming him. Um, college was kind of falling apart for him. He couldn't keep his grades up. He was about to lose his scholarship. He wasn't hitting his sales numbers. He was about to lose his job. He was starting down some very addictive behavior pathways and felt like he was getting lost in them and didn't know where to turn. His life was crumbling. And we had an amazing conversation for about an hour and a half just about how God had already kind of changed a few of those patterns for me in my life. I resonated with some of those things. The, f- the stuff I felt like I was learning from the scripture about the promises of God and what life in him looked like. And we had just this amazing dialogue back and forth. He was so ready to explore who is Jesus and what is God gonna do in my life. Now, spoiler alert, he didn't give his life to Christ in that moment. And that's fine. Again, it took me 18 years of steady conversation before it ever clicked with me. But we followed up a couple more times and had some more conversations and eventually they moved out of state and we lost touch. But I know how powerful it is to be one of those conversations in my own life, let alone in someone else's. We have an opportunity to be one of those stepping stones for other people, but we have to be willing to follow the farmer into the orchard. You see, that guy, I barely knew him. Yeah, we worked together. But like we didn't work like side by side. We were doing different jobs, different sales, going to different people's houses. He wouldn't have been one of the people I was focusing on. But God said, no, this is one of the people that's where the harvest is plentiful. He's ripe for the picking. He's a person of peace. It's time to talk with him today. And if we're unwilling because we're stubborn and we're gonna sit next to the empty apple tree and say, but these these are the apples that I'm concerned about, we're gonna miss out on a lot of opportunities for God to use us on a regular day in, day out, week in, week in out basis to be a part of the harvest. You see, we have this amazing invitation from God to actually move into this mission with him. And that is the heartbeat we want to have if we want to be able to share Christ well. This heartbeat that with evangelism, with this idea that we're going to be sharing what God has done in our life, we are following the leading of God. This is not something that we're simply charting out on a spreadsheet by ourselves. This is not something where we're just sitting down and going, you know, on Tuesday, I'm going to share um, my, my understanding of heaven and hell with Sally. I know we're supposed to just get together for for salad, but they're gonna know about heaven and hell. We're, we're, we're not forcing these things down people's throat. We're praying, God, can you give me the segues, give me the no-brainer moments for these people that I desperately hope would come to faith in you. God, show me where to move. Show me where the apples are. Show me where the trees are that have the fruit that we can harvest. How can I be one of the workers in the field and be a part of what it is that you're doing? Apparently, God knows what he's doing. 
Apparently, God knows who the people are, the, 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 the souls, the minds, the hearts that he's been working in and how far along they've come and when it's time for you to have one of those conversations. And we can follow him into that field. Later on in Luke 10, I highly encourage you to read the rest of this passage this week. But it gets into a relatively familiar story called the Good Samaritan. And Jesus is asked, well, who are my neighbors? Who are the people that I should be intentionally engaging? Who am I supposed to love? Because Jesus said the second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. It's one of the foundational things we're supposed to do as a follower of him. He says, well, well, who's my neighbor? And Jesus answers pretty much this way. He says, it's the person I've put in your path that I've given you a no-brainer moment to engage. To love them, to share with them, to help them, to serve them. That's your neighbor. It's the person of peace. It could be the person at the grocery store. It could be your mom. It could be your neighbor, a classmate, a coworker. It doesn't matter who it is because Jesus knows. It could be the random guy you're supposed to meet with lunch tomorrow and order a pizza at Tommaso's. And God's like, this, this, this is the moment. This is part of the harvest right here. And we have the opportunity to follow him into the harvest field or stubbornly sit instead under an empty tree. You see, that same urgency that God talks about when he says don't, don't have a greeting for anyone else on the road is not to be callous. It doesn't mean don't actually greet people. It means be urgent about the people he's calling you to be intentional with. Now I wanna walk you through three habits because if this is our heartbeat, then what are the things that we can be practicing on a regular basis to actually find how to engage the harvest field? First of all, we wanna be in the orchard. We wanna actually be in a place where people that need to know Jesus are found and then not remove ourselves from it, right? Like the passage said, stay in that house. Don't move from house to house. Get in the orchard and be where the people are that don't know Jesus. If you're not in a place where people don't know Jesus, then you're not in the orchard. There's no way to pick apples without going to where the apple trees are, period. And God is saying, it's fine, because guess what? The harvest is plentiful. I'm actually gonna make picking the apples very possible for you. You just gotta be in the orchard. Where are you gonna find yourselves amongst the people that need the hope and the mind and the message of Jesus Christ? The second habit is we need to dial into the Holy Spirit. We need to engage God himself and look for the no-brainer moments. We have to be willing that holding the door open for that person at the grocery store might actually be a no-brainer moment. Your cousin that you haven't talked to for a while but suddenly reaches out to you and says, hey, do you want to get together and watch the game? Pray about that. That might be one of those no-brainer moments. When you run into that person that you haven't seen for years, are you praying that that, is this a no-brainer moment? Is this an opportunity for me to, to shed light on a facet of my faith? That we hear from them where they're at. We meet people where they are so that we can begin to show them the path back to Jesus. Because if you haven't heard this yet, it's not about getting your presentation out. It's not about making sure that you get your five minute speech out about who Jesus is and why they need them. It's about meeting people where they're at, finding a point of peace and having a conversation about that, how God intersects with their life right there. But if we're not praying and down into the Holy Spirit, we don't even know for sure who our three should be, let alone if he's ready to change one of those and move to another person. 
And the third thing is we need to be intentional with who your three are. Some of us, we're surrounded by people that don't yet know Jesus, but from everything we can, we, we only know one of two things. Either A, we're pretty sure there's no apples to be picked because we haven't even tried the intentionality, we haven't prayed for the no-brainer moments, we don't know where they stand, or two, we're, we're surrounded by a lot of empty apple trees. A lot of people that need prayer but aren't willing to have any form of conversation, which means we may have to put ourselves into a different scenario so that we can be intentional with the people that are our three. For instance, if one of the people on your list that you're regularly praying for is someone that lives out of state, for instance, and we're hearing this conversation about the harvest is plentiful and we want to be intentional, but you, you don't even see this person more than once a year. It's certainly not to say that you can't have an influence on that person's life, but the intentionality drastically shifts because you're not randomly getting coffee with them on a Tuesday morning. You're not sitting down and having dinner with them and their family that, that Friday night. You're not gonna call them up and say, hey, do you wanna go to the game with me or to this event? You, you can't, they live somewhere else. And so the intentionality of that second prayer list, as I mentioned before, might become, I'm praying for that person, that God would be having this conversation with someone else in that state that finds them on their three and can intentionally invest in their life on a regular basis. That might be how we're intentional with that person, but God might want to put you in a different environment. He might want to get you away from the empty apple trees and take you to where there's plenty of apples to be picked. He might say, that's why I want you to get involved in this ministry. That's why I want you to get involved with kids or teens or adults that find themselves in complete neighborhoods where the whole neighborhood seems overlooked, where they seem completely hopeless in all situations. They don't know where to turn. He might want you to get involved in, in, in environments where people are just feeling like life is crashing in on them because of circumstantial changes. Getting involved with people that are going through health changes, major medical crises, major life adjustments where you can kind of be there and help navigate. This is what it looks like to have a life in, in Christ. Maybe he's calling you to volunteer in one of these areas. Maybe he's calling you to volunteer and invest yourself in teenagers, other adults, kids, and be intentionally in an orchard where it's possible to be a part of the harvest. Some of you are even really good cross-culturally. You're not regularly offensive when you talk to someone from another culture, and you can even pick up phrases in a different language pretty quickly. And God might be actually calling you to be a part of the harvest somewhere else completely. You're like, well, that can't possibly be me. And I would ask, why not? Because God just calls the others, the other people that are following Jesus, that are willing to be workers in the field. And if he's wired you with some of those cultural sensitivities already, it could be very possible that he's calling you into a field like that. God cares about the entire world that's out there that doesn't yet know Jesus. And there are so many people that are willing to engage the hope and the message of Christ. We have an opportunity to be amazing workers in the harvest, to be a part of what God is actually doing, to follow the farmer to the apple trees and pick bushels and bushels and bushels of apples. Now, if you're sitting here, if you're watching this and you don't yet know Jesus, I wanna circle back around to you, I haven't forgotten. And I wanna encourage you with something. Because a life in Jesus is the thing. 
it changes everything for the better. It saves us again from our sin, connects us with our creator. There's so, so, so much. A whole other series could be devoted just onto that. But if you find yourself as someone that doesn't yet know Christ, and yet you're watching this, you're online, you're engaging this right now, you're in the room, then I would, I would favor that you might yourself be ripe fruit. That you are someone that God already is beckoning unto himself. That you're at that place where your heart is ready to experience what God has to offer. And I wanna encourage you that you would take a step forward and that you would become intentionally a person of peace. That the person that you're watching this with, the person that you're sitting next to, they might be that person. That you could ask the questions, that you could talk to, why, why does this work out this way? How does this happen? If I decided to follow Jesus, what would that mean? I wanna encourage you to take that step. Maybe even it's today, reaching out to the leadership of the church. If you don't know somebody, that's fine. We would love to do that and help you come into life with Christ and know how to engage him that way. In a couple of moments, the band's gonna come out and they're gonna lead us through a couple of songs and boy, do I just wanna encourage you, if you don't yet know Jesus, to take that time to begin to pray your heart, your words to God. Will you help me find you, know you, experience this life that we're talking about? And if you, are, if you are a follower of Jesus, would you be praying about the intentionality of these habits? Would you be praying that, God, would you show me where to be? Would you show me who my three are supposed to be? Would you lead me into the orchard so that I can experience and help other people be a part of the harvest. Will you pray with me? Father, I am so grateful that you would be willing to invite us into life. You're not a God that's just resting in judgment and ha-ha moments that we can't get it right. Instead, you look at us like sheep without a shepherd, with compassion. And you don't even just feel that, you offer the solution to it. You yourself sacrifice your son, Jesus, you give your life to us, for us, that we could have life in you. And that's true for each and every one of us that already follow you, that's true for each and every one of us that might be in the room that don't yet know you. And it's also true for each and every one of the people that we're praying for. Help us to see that urgently. God, help us to be bold enough to pray for no-brainer moments and willing to take them. Help us to be loving and gentle and excited as we talk about what you've done in our life and how you're working through us. God, help us to see you clearly. Help us to be excited about your love as we become workers in the harvest. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.